first of all, they've got to learn to love baseball. You know, they won't be, I don't feel like you can become the best player you can be if you don't love the game. And so that's number one. They learn to love it so that they learn to love the word. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. Today we have on Ryan Starwalt, head coach for the Oregon 5A state runner-up Crescent Valley High School. Let me tell you, his guys mash. Ryan has been at CV for the past 10 years, and so we talk about the growth of his program and his self in that time. We also talk hitting, how they teach it, and how they get players to set daily goals for themselves, and why his practices are different than some of the traditional norms. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Ryan Starwalt. Coach Starwalt, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate being a part of it and I'm uh, kind of surprised and humbled that I that I get to be somebody that you're uh, doing one of these podcasts with. So thanks for having me. Oh, of course. And you are probably in the worst place on earth to do an interview. And like we were saying before, before you started, you're on a beach in San Diego. So I definitely, <laughs> I yeah, it's vacation time for the fam. So, so I, I nice to catch our breath. And I appreciate you hopping on with us, you know, in, in such a majestic spot. But can't wait to dig into some baseball with you. But before we, you know, before we get started, if our listeners, you know, may not know who you are or, you know, what your background is, can you kind of talk us through uh, how you got started in a coaching and where you're at currently? Yep, you bet. No, I'm uh, I'm kind of born and raised uh, in the Corvallis uh, slash Philomath, Oregon area. Uh, grew up with a couple of brothers and pretty much we lived in the uh, field playing wiffle ball and on the basketball court and seasonal just shifting from one thing to another but always had a particular love for baseball and and even though you know I was an average you know college baseball player kind of wanted to keep at it and didn't really know exactly how I was going to be able to do that and and got into it through coaching my my younger brother who was a pretty good player and uh kind of got to got to tinker around with him and and see if I was any good at it and and tried to help him kind of push his career along. And, and then um, after that, I took a little break from coaching and, and just stuck to school and getting a teaching degree and, and all that. And then after I kind of was solidified as a teacher, I got back into to coaching and, and, you know, been doing it for, for uh, 12 years now. I love that. And I love being able to follow you guys on social media. You do, you guys do a fantastic job of promoting your program. And, and so that's why, you know, I'm, I'm honored to have you on. But talk to us about, you know, what you guys are doing in the fall. And, you know, I, I don't know the time restrictions up in Corvallis, but talk to us about, you know, what you guys are doing to develop your players in the off season. Yeah, Oregon has some, um, there's kind of, I would consider some antiquated uh, rules as far as who's allowed to coach the kids and then, you know, in what season. Um, they kind of force you into a situation where you're only able to coach two kids a day as far as baseball skills are related. However. Um, you know, the, the weight training, the the uh, core strength, the speed agility, you kind of can do whatever you want with. So while the, the baseball training is pretty limited uh, to what we can do, um, they can still get the really important stuff, kind of building that engine, of, you know, in their body. They can get that year round and we can help them with that. And, and so fall's tricky for us. Our kids, a lot of them play football and those that don't, they they do typically play on a fall baseball team. It's a, it's 
relatively um there's not a great league or anything like that so they just play kind of for fun and they're, they're training their skills and they're building their body in the fall and and in the winter and and uh in preparation for that that spring season um so our fall is oftentimes it's run by uh volunteer dads that run our our high school team and and they definitely they do as good a job as they can and the kids kind of you know end up running a lot of the stuff themselves and and it's it's I you know I don't mind it though it's it's very low pressure and and the kids that really want to push themselves shoot they get a lot better and and those that don't you know kind of just like the you know the kids you have in the spring that don't really want to push themselves they don't improve quite as fast as the other guys. Awesome. I well I guess it's awesome that you guys are able to to build the engine year round. But you know that's that like you said it's a little bit antiquated and and you said that you guys only get to coach two players a day per coach. Right. So it's a rule that was designed, I, I believe, to to encourage, you know, kids to do multi multiple sports, which, you know, I, I like the idea and the premise. But, you know, I, I always joke with our basketball coach about it all the time. I mean, he cuts every kid we ever send him, you know, so it's, you know, as much as some of these kids would like to play multiple sports it, at, in, in a lot of ways, they're, they're, they have a, a sport that they're good at, you know, being baseball. And the other sports are, are definitely more for fun. And, and growing up, shoot, until until high school, I, I think they should do everything they can and figure out what they're good at and what they love. But once you get to high school, it's a challenge to do to try to play two or, or especially three sports and, and be good at anything. You know, you kind of become the jack of all trades, master of none type of thing. And 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 so, you know, while there's kids, we have certainly have kids that do play two sports and we encourage that the, the kids that that you know, don't belong out on a football field. I don't really feel like should be out on a football field, I guess would be my, my kind of theory, but yeah, you know, that's the rule and that's what we have to live by for now. I know they're looking at changing it, um, which would be great. So that's the current Oregon, um, setup. Okay. So talk to us about when you guys do get started in the spring. What is, what is your, uh, what is that? What are those dates look like? Uh, our spring season runs from basically the end of February and then the state championship is typically around June 2nd or 3rd. And so, you know, we get March, April, May, and that's pretty much it. Um, so it's a short little window. We play, it rains a lot where we're at, um, you know, and so uh, we, we are fortunate enough to have a, a turf infield that allows us to be on that thing every day. Whereas a lot of these teams shoot, they can't practice hardly at all. Um, and we're out there every day. And, and so we have a kind of a competitive advantage in that regard. Not that there aren't other teams with turf fields, but it literally rains, you know, almost every day in the spring uh, until about mid-April. And so we, we've got a hitting facility that we spend a ton of time in. We've got our infield that we spend a ton of time on. But, you know, the training ground and that the, these kids really have to become good players is really not in the spring for us. The spring is kind of like, you better be ready to go or you're, or it's going to pass you by type of thing. Cause we just, you know, you end up playing on the, on the nice days, you end up playing all your games. So, you know, the rainy days are, are often games get canceled and then whenever it's nice, it's go time. So practice in Oregon in the spring is really, really tough on, on, you know, almost all teams. And like I said, we're fortunate that we can get on our field pretty much any day, but, but it's a, it's a rough place to have a spring baseball. No, I bet. And, and it sounds like you guys have to be really, just really creative with how you guys go about with uh, building players. And so, uh, you know, we'll we'll get into that just here in just a second. But, you know, talk to us about, 
just the different competitions that you guys do in practice and you know all of our listeners are are always looking for things to add to their practices to help their kids be more you know more competitive with each other and just to spice things up a little bit so are there any ways that you guys uh trying to accomplish that i mean yeah we do have some some certainly some things that we do to to try to make things uh competitive and just to kind of you know make a day a little more interesting that would seem you know like a typical mundane practice um you know, which, which I'll talk about, but you know, the biggest thing I think is getting kids to understand that, that they've got to be competitive, you know, kind of within themselves every day and with their teammates every day as a mentality, um, and trying to really get them to buy into that because baseball training in some ways, you know, if, if they aren't buying into that, Hey, I'm showing up here to get better. It really does just kind of come and go and nothing really happens. Um, but the minute a player, you know, they, they show up and even if it's that same boring, Hey, we're doing this drill and this drill, and now I'm, I'm taking my BP. And if it's that, if that's their mentality of just kind of, I'm doing it versus I'm going to, I'm going to try to leave a better player, you know, baseball probably isn't going to be for them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, you know, we do, we do different competitions in the cages where we'll do, you know, line drive competitions that get guys out of running and force guys into some running and just, you know, some sit-ups or whatever. And, and we'll keep score, you know, of, of ground balls being a negative and line drives being a positive and, and that type of thing, or ball, just strictly balls in the air to kind of change that mentality of what's good and what's not. So a ground ball negative, a ball in the air, a positive type of thing. And then we'll switch to barrels or, or whatever, um, you know, laying off, bad pitches we change the competition for whatever it is we're focusing on that day but you know we do we definitely do compete at practice but i I, you know i really think if you were just sit back and watch us practice you know the average observer might might consider it boring at times because it's a lot of the same stuff over and over again trying to get better at those kind of key things and hitting a baseball and throwing a baseball hard and well and you know making routine plays i mean building a baseball player isn't always exciting, I guess would be my, my, you know, my thing is like, it's just, it's just the way it is. Sure. No no doubt. And, and, you know, we talk about the game is changing a lot, but the true game of baseball hasn't changed in what, 100, 120 years, just the way that we teach it has. Well, I want to stay on the subject of you've got terrible weather. So for our, for our coaches who, you know, uh, northern states or really rainy states or even, you know, in, in Texas, whenever we get, you know, half an inch of rain and, and we're freaking out because we have to go in indoor. What's your best advice, you know, on how to how to keep it creative, but also in a productive day uh, of practice instead of it just being a wasted day? So what what's your best way to go around that? And what's what what are some things that we should add? Well, number one, like for us, you know, on those days is we do have, we have a facility that allows us to keep training on those bad days. So, I mean, the number one thing that I know it sounds ridiculous, but the number one thing, if you don't, if you're, you know, an Oregon team or a wet weather team, if you don't have an indoor facility, you know, I'd, I'd start fundraising for one, you know, yesterday, uh, without that, we would have no chance of being successful in my eyes because we just have too much, too much rain. We've got a, you know, 120 by, I think, 50 foot indoor that's got three full tunnels that we can train pitching and hitting on, you know, every day, all day, if we needed to, you know, type of thing. And to me, that's the kind of the number one thing for our program is when that thing got built 10 years ago, Crescent Valley Baseball was 
you know, I don't want to say a, a laughing stock, but there's just almost no success. And then these parents come come around and they, they you know, there's a talented group of kids coming up and they said, hey, we want to build this hitting facility. And, and they flat raised $120,000 as fast as they could. And they built it, you know, in a few months. And literally the next, from then on, it's just been a totally different program. And you know, the kids have absolutely lived in that thing. They, you know, they want to be in there constantly. I mean, our program's kind of built around swinging the bat, you know, it's kind of been our thing and it has everything to do with the fact they can actually go somewhere and do that. And, and I just think it's amazing what one group of parents 10 years ago did for an entire, you know, shoot. Now they've serviced probably 2000 kids or, you know, counting softball, probably 3000. And it was literally just a group of parents that, you know, got tired of watching a program completely struggle and have no hope. I, I just, I think it's kind of a cool story, you know, going back to your original question, you'll have to remind me exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, just how uh, different ways that we're creative and, and different ways that you found to maximize our, our ability to practice in uh, small spaces. Yeah. I mean, we do things like, you know, I mean, and I've, I've stolen everything here, so don't think for a minute I'm claiming any of this, but we do tons of heavy bat, light bat, angle toss, PVC pipe with hitting tennis balls to center field. Um, you know, cause sometimes you end up in a gym or whatever and you, you know, you get pushed into there and, and you, you still want to be able to train hitters. And, and if you've got 45 kids to keep busy, there's some things that they just can't really, you don't necessarily need a lot of instruction on and it's hard for them to screw up when you hand them a PVC pipe and tell a guy to side toss and tell that kid to try to crush a center field home run. You know, it's like, there's no, there's nobody that needs to stand there and teach that. They're just trying to do it. And so things like that on those rainy days where you're kind of pulled in a million different directions and, and, you know, depending on the coaches coaching in Oregon are, are almost basically volunteers. And so they have regular jobs, of course, and, and you never know exactly what you're going to have that day. I have great coaches, but even then it's like, we all get pulled in a diff- bunch of different directions with our, our kids and our life. And, and you never know if you're going to have two coaches or 10 coaches sometimes on those rainy days in the gym. And, and certainly it helps to have those, those drills that the kids can go to where they don't need somebody constantly telling them what to do. And they can just go out there and kind of in figure it out mode a little bit and, um, and still be productive. So, you know, with the, the heavy bat, light bat stuff is great. The angled toss where kids can do it themselves is great. I, I love PVC pipes. Uh, we do some band stuff with, you know, just kind of going through some constraints, not even necessarily swinging a bat, but just trying to get some feel that, that can, you know, they're, they're not just killing time. They're literally working on something. And at the longer, you know, the other thing that happens in our program is that those older kids that have really bought in the juniors and seniors, and sometimes even sophomores, um, you know, that we, we teach them to, to bring the next group along. And so in, immediately from the get go, when the freshmen come in, the, the older kids job is to, you know, get them educated and up to speed as fast as possible. And, and the kids feel comfortable asking questions. And, and, you know, when they don't understand a movement they're they don't necessarily have to ask a coach, they can ask a kid. Um, and the kids should have been educated on that and be able to give them a good answer. And, and so in our program, I, it's important that kids ask questions and the, and that, our coaches, if they don't know the answer, they don't just spout one off. You know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, if you don't know, just ask. And if, you know, if we, none of us know, we're going to try to figure it out type of thing versus just giving them an answer because you want to sound, you know, like the authority figure. I love that. And, and it really leads into my next 
part of building a, the entire player and that's you, we want to build a great team and and the reason why we got into coaching in the first place is so we could impact lives in a positive way and I really loved that you have your juniors and seniors your upperclassmen to really take on that role as really an, an assistant coach and and bringing those kids along with them I think is it was your exact phrase is, is, is bring them up to speed and bring them along with you but talk to us about you know some other ways that you help and you support your upperclassmen in their you know in their journey to be able to become leaders and their and their ability to be able to lead and and I'm sure that you're that you are first the example but talk to us about how you support those guys in in their way to do that I uh, I mean I think the biggest thing is just being open and communicating and you know having a lot of honesty in which how you operate letting them understand that they're allowed to make mistakes we're allowed to make mistakes nobody's here to judge what they're doing it's all we're all just trying to get better as people as players you know it's it's it is baseball but at the same time like we're we're building young men and we're at the same time we're building ourselves i mean it's like i hope i hope i'm a lot better you know coach in person than i was 10 years ago you know when we kind of started at crescent valley and and you know that i mean that's really just the the, the continued they probably hear us say the same way more often than they'd like but you never know who's who was in the room before and who wasn't and you know just really having a consistent message of of how important you know this experience is for for their future and they and a lot of them aren't going to go on to be you know college baseball players or professionals for sure but but they're going to go on to be you know working productive members of society hopefully and they're going to be dads and they're going to be they're going to be husbands and all this stuff, this learning to deal with failure, this learning to deal with coach that you think doesn't like you or learning to deal with a, a situation where you think you should be hitting third and you're hitting seventh and, and how to navigate that with your parents. Like, you know, the, the more open you can be to educate these kids on, on why it's good for them to maybe possibly fail and have to fight for stuff, you know, the, the better they're going to learn to handle this, this in, you know, those moments in life. Because I don't think without sport, there's not very many opportunities nowadays for kids to fail like there used to be, you know, everybody's trying to make them feel good, which is, which is awesome. You know, people are a lot nicer probably nowadays to kids than they, maybe they used to be, but at the same time, like, no, you know, we don't give away anything like every at bat they earn, every inning they get on the mound is earned. Um, and that becomes really frustrating for kids. And, and I just, I, you know, I, I ask them to express it and, you know, I don't, none of us are ever offended if they disagree you know in fact you know our kind of thing is it's prove it is tell them to prove us wrong because you know what could be better for a coach than to think a kid's a you know a bench guy and he ends up being a being an all-league guy for you I mean that's awesome and that actually happened this year for us so I mean it does happen we make mistakes some guys are flat out gamers and you got to kind of figure that out and and you know, um, so and and I'll own any mistake we make, and and hopefully our players learn to do that too. I think it's a lot harder for a for a teenager, you know, their pride to admit to maybe not doing something right or whatever. But but you know, we just try to make sure that everybody's really open and honest. And and while the message isn't necessarily what they want to hear, I think they appreciate the fact that they're getting the truth from you versus you know what maybe they don't get from from another source. I love that. And I love that the culture that you're building of, of openness. And like you said, if we don't have the answer that we're going to find it and it's not a it's not a test of your ego. And, you know, as you're talking about that and you're talking about speaking in truth, 
that uh, it, it brings me back to one of, one of my favorite books that I've read this year in the Culture Code. And in it, they talked about how, you know, Greg Popovich, Hall of Fame coach, one of the best coaches of all time, his players absolutely loved him. But they said that the reason why is that he would tell you the truth and then he'll love you to death. So he gave them what they may not want to hear, which is what you were mentioning earlier. But he also had that that component of, well, he's going to love them as well. He's not going to be just all truth all the time. So I really like that. And I, I've, I've been trying to take more of an approach of that this year of, you know, I, I want to be able to sugarcoat it for the, for the kids a little bit. But in the end, it doesn't do them a whole lot of favors. But if I give them truth all the time, then they're just going to hate coming every single day. So I love that, that you guys are, are doing that balancing act so well. And man, it's just, it, it's impressive. That, that is definitely for sure. So you've got a very limited time to build a better baseball player. And we've hit on, you know, the off season's not very long and you guys are inside a lot. And, and uh, again, I love the culture that you guys are building. But talk to us about, you know, how you build a better individual baseball player. So not just as a team where everybody's doing the exact same thing. How do you make sure each player is getting better and not just the top, you know, 10% and, and the middle where we're leaving those, those bottom guys behind? Yeah, well, one thing I, that I want to improve on this, you know, going into this next year is I want to start tracking things better. Um, it's interesting. We've never done a great job of tracking our athletes, you know, as they work through things. And I don't know, it's not, I, I hope it's not out of laziness. I feel like it's out of, um, you know, how many hours we have in a day and how much we can really truly dedicate to baseball and just never coming up with a great system to do it. And so that's kind of one of my goals this year is to change how we do things as far as we, I want to make sure that kids can, you know, see the improvement in, in the weight room um, with their exit velocity, with their, you know, their arms as far as the radar guns concerned. I mean, we've, we've always measured those things. I shouldn't say always, but within the last, you know, four or five years, we've been measuring them, but we don't do a great job in tracking them. But as far as building that player and that, you know, I think it's, I think it has to start with, First of all, they've got to learn to love baseball. You know, they won't be, I don't feel like you can become the best player you can be if you don't love the game. And so that's number one. They learn to love it so that they learn to love the work. Um, and then, you know, most of the kids, you know, there's kind of that, if we get a football, baseball guy that you generally speaking, they, they have figured out that how important the weight room is. If we get a baseball only kid, sometimes that kid has to be kind of, um, you know, shown the, the benefits of the weight room. And, and if we're the first people to introduce them to the weight room, um, there's kind of a, there's almost that sales piece to it of, listen, you know, if you're, if your fly outs and the balls you're crushing are getting caught, you know, if we increase our deadlift and our squat a hundred pounds each, those are going to turn into doubles. And then if we do that again, the following year and increase it 50 pounds, you know, in each, they're going to turn into homers and, you know, kind of sell it that way. Which, you know, I, I know it's obviously not all there is to hitting, you know, being able to deadlift or squat or whatever, but I certainly think it's a factor. I, you know, you look at these guys that were, you know, juicing in the 90s and 2000 and, and, and how big and strong they got and all of a sudden their home run numbers doubled. And, you know, so the weight room is very, is clearly has value. I mean, a Mike Trout wouldn't be the same player if he weighed 180 pounds as he does at 245. And, you know, so, so eating, you know, the biggest thing for teenage boys is they don't understand that in order for them to put some weight on their frame, they're going to have to eat more and they act like it's the hardest thing in the world to do, but they just don't know 
they don't have that discipline, you know, yet to, to actually do it. And, and someday they'll appreciate that they have a fast metabolism. But <laughs> in the moment, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I've, I, you know, I eat everything I can. And then they tell you what they ate and it adds up to 2,500 calories. And you're going, okay, well, you know, you're going to need 4,000 calories to even start gaining, gaining any weight. And then they act like you know, that's impossible. And then you show them, you know, a couple of peanut butter sandwiches later and they're, and they're in, you know, it's not that hard. But just educating them on the importance of the weight room, I think, is, is a huge thing and a step in the right direction for a, for a young kid. And then, you know, once they've kind of got that built into their three, you know, I tell them it's only an hour a day, three days a week. We're not looking for, you know, the seven days, you know, splits where it's just crazy. I mean, we just want you to get stronger over time. And if you're only adding five pounds to your squat a week, you know, it might not seem like much, but in time, that's a lot of weight. And obviously it's not linear progression or anything like that. And it does die off. But man, when, when those kids first start figuring out that a little hard work in the weight room makes it so their balls aren't caught anymore in their doubles, you know, buy-in just is incredibly different. And, and all of a sudden they start looking different and they're weighing more, they're feeling more confident both, you know, on and off the field. And, and it can have a huge impact in, in a player's um, growth. I mean, we've had, I feel like we've had, a, a you know, our, a, for a smaller school of, of 950 kids, we've had quite a few kids go on, you know, to play and keep playing after high school and the all almost, exclusively they're the kids that have gotten big and strong and and you know figured out how to do do things that that they couldn't do when they were when they were smaller and weaker you know no definitely and i think that if there's one general area that a lot of kids can improve on and that's definitely in the weight room and i think that that it's it's no surprise that you know over over the past even five years how big of an impact that the strength and conditioning program has had on our game and and it's only going to get bigger and better which is which is awesome and so let's go ahead and skip forward and i i'm a practice plan geek like i love i love being able to see a a really well-run practice and i love to hear what other what other coaches are doing just to be able to maximize your time and and like you mentioned you've got to because you guys aren't aren't out on the field as much as you'd like to be so can you kind of walk us through what a typical practice would look like for you guys on the field. And, and if you don't mind, could, could you go through your BP setup a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, our practices, you know, generally speaking, they're not the most exciting things in the world. We do a lot of repetition as far as, you know, a practice doesn't look super different on, you know, on certain days, it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, our kids roll into the cages and, uh, again, this is, I'm, I'm going to tell you what we do, not necessarily what you should do, but I mean, our kids roll into the cages and, and they are in the first 15 to 20 minutes, they kind of get themselves loose a little bit. And, and this is kind of to help us coaches get some time together to, to figure out exactly what we want to attack that day. But the kids will get, you know, 15 minutes on front toss, just kind of working on stuff. Their, their job is to come in and hey this is what i'm working on today and then whatever it is they tell themselves then you know they might need to com communicate that to the tosser or whatever but um you know they may grab a heavy bat they may grab a light bat because they're trying to learn to stay back better or they're you may grab a heavy bat because they're having trouble with that pull side pitch and and whatever but they're working on something that's kind of the beginning of practice so our kids get 15 minutes of uncoached you know swings in those three tunnels every single day 
before they've even talked to a coach. You know, it's kind of just the way we've done it for ever since we've started and, and it's worked okay. So I've never changed it. You know, after that, they go out and, and depending on the group we have that day, if it's, you know, maybe the JV's off playing a game or whatever, but if we've got everybody, um, you know, in the entire program, uh, they'll go out and we'll kind of do our, our, our typical stretch, get your body loose, dynamic warm up thing. Most of the kids control their own throwing to a certain degree. So some kids will be on a long toss day. Other kid might be, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm down on the back today. Um, and they'll select a partner kind of based on, on that a little bit as far as what, what their goals are for that day. And generally speaking, if it's a long toss day, they'll, you know, we kind of do the long toss where you throw it out, you know, going for distance. And then when you come back, you're pulling down a little bit, kind of the Alan, Alan Jagger uh, system of long toss. And then they'll come in and we'll do kind of position specific work with a, with a coach that's trained or that that's kind of their specialty. So catchers will go with, you know, a catching guy and first baseman will go with the first baseman guy and, and, and middle infielders or, or possibly even third baseman too, will go with the infield. And, and work through the progressions of whatever we're trying to do. You know, we try not to just keep it that simple. Same thing. A lot of the progressions, we try to do challenging progressions a little bit where it's, you're not training just the easy. We do a lot of the easy too, but just kind of make them fly around and do some things that might happen in a game that you just don't typically train for. And so we try to incorporate some of that into it too, some diving stuff and sliding and whatever. And the outfielders go with an outfield guy. And and sometimes it's it's a lot of fungo work. Sometimes it's drill work. Uh, depends on kind of where we think things are at. You know, once we kind of get into games, I think we move a lot more to just kind of fungo in and get them, get them a lot of reps going across the infield and, and all the different balls that they're going to run into in a game. Early in the season, of course, you know, it's a lot of teaching with double play stuff with the middle guys and the younger guys, footwork things showing them different arm angles and, and how to come get a ball across the bag and, and, and drop steps or where the throw takes you type of stuff. And, and then, you know, typically we, <laughs> I know this is going to sound, you know, almost ridiculous, but we do so much kind of coach pitch ball and play scrimmage because I think rather than the on-field BP that I know a lot of people do, we, we almost never take traditional BP on the field. Okay. Uh, I think in the last 10 years, I think we've done that. I would say 20 times, you know, we do it a couple of times a year. Um, and I know a lot of people do it for three or four times a week. And we just never have, I, I like the fact that in the coach pitch style BP that we do, where we kind of go, they may get a swing and they defense plays it live. And the next one they're kind of coming out on and you play it and they run the bases and the outfielders are getting live reads off the bat and the infielders are getting real swings and timing and, and the hitters are getting a little bit more of a, Hey, this swing matters type thing versus I'm going to, get eight pitches and try to hit six of them out. You know, it's, it's just kind of the way we've done it. And part of it is we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and so we want to make things as game-like as possible. And that's as close as we can get to doing that. You know, we don't practice that kind of, we, even if we did BP, we wouldn't practice that backside ground ball. You know, we wouldn't probably spend a lot of time on hit and runs, pounding the ball on the ground anyway. And so our guys are just up there to put in a bat together against the coach and, try to crush a baseball and, you know, where it's pitched and, and run like crazy and try to stretch, you know, singles into doubles and, and see what they can, how they can put pressure on the defense. So, I mean, our, our practices look a lot like that on most days. There are some variables where we do some different things, but that's a kind of a typical practice for, for Crescent Valley baseball. Fantastic. 
you mentioned a couple times that you've been at, at CV for 10 years. 10 years is correct? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So if you could go back and uh, talk to your first yourself just about some of the different things that, that you would do differently down the road, what advice would you give your first yourself? Yeah, I mean, when I took that job, I was actually coming over from my alma mater at Philomath, and, and I'd replaced uh, a legend that the field was named after, and Terry Stevenson over there was my first year at Philomath. And so I only spent one year there at Philomath, but then when I came over to Crescent Valley, I took that job, and, and probably the first mistake I made was they had a summer team, and they had a guy in charge coaching it, and instead of kind of making myself a part of that, I kind of laid back and just watched from the stands and tried to learn the players from that perspective. and went to some of their games and, and I was, you know, I was really excited, but again, at the same time they had a coach I didn't know for that summer team. And I just kind of left it as is. And then we get into the kind of into the winter and spring and I just didn't know the kids like I should have. And, and so my number one mistake was that thinking that you can learn a lot about a baseball player from watching them play the game and realizing you don't, you know, you really, it doesn't really matter until you know the kid and know their personality and know how they respond to things. And, and so we had a really, really talented team that spring. And we didn't even make the playoffs, you know, and it, and it had everything to do with me not really understanding the personnel and their, and their personalities and, and just kind of having to get a feel for it on the fly. And like I said, in Oregon, the spring season is only three months. It goes by really fast. And, and that was kind of a blown opportunity. And, you know, it was, it was the only year we didn't make the playoffs and, and out of the 10. And it wasn't because the team didn't have talent. You know, it was kind of an up and coming, pretty good group. There were four seniors that I just, you know, I love those kids and, and a junior class that was, you know, probably honestly, probably the best class we've ever had. And so in, in that regard, I think if we were coaching that team coming into next year, we'd expect to be, you know, have, make a run at a state championship and we didn't make the playoffs. And so, you know, I guess for me, the first thing is it was a wake up call to just realizing how important the relationships with your players is in terms of their performance. I mean, once they're comfortable they're if they're a six as a player, once they're comfortable, they're immediately an eight you know, before you've even taught them anything or helped them with anything. It's just that being able to play the game without and know what, you know, what to expect out of your coach and your coach know what to expect out of the players. Uh, it makes a huge difference. And so, you know, the coaches that kind of sit back and think it's all about a kid's ability, I think they're, they're missing out on a lot when it's like, it really becomes like, get to know those kids, you know, get to know everything about them. So you can figure out what kind of pushes their buttons and what makes them, you know, excited about being there and want to train and want to get better and, and want to run a, run through a wall for you type of thing. Oh, definitely. And, and I love that. I think that, you know, we, we've all made that, that same connection of, you know, when we're, especially, it seems like it's a younger coach thing too, with, with ego and pride a little bit and, you know, not wanting to seem like, Speaking from myself personally, not wanting to be the kid's friends or, or it being perceived that we were friends, but that's definitely something that, you know, not being a head coach, but definitely something I would go back and tell my first even couple year self is that, you know, developing connections with your players. And, and I really liked what you said earlier about getting them to love the game and then being able to make it hard on them if they love it. So it's tough to be tough on kids if if they don't love the game and I love that, and and I think that that you're right. You're right on track with that. But you know, I want to talk to you about your own personal learning a little bit. You mentioned earlier that that you guys are going to start tracking more stuff, which I think is fantastic, and it's something that that my goal for the next 
a couple couple months is going to be of how what what should we track because we can't track everything. But what other changes are you making from you know this past spring throughout the summer throughout the fall? What what changes are you making from last year to this this upcoming year? I mean that's the biggest one. And, and by the way, let me know what you figure out because I'm you know <laughs> I'm still yeah. in that kind of beginning stage of figuring out what we want to measure you know what what we can what we can do that's going to help the kids the most because you know realistically like i care about two things i want to make sure the kids know that that we care about them and that we care about them as more than just baseball players but people too and then the other thing is the kids that want to keep going after high school you know those are the kids that i really want to coach and help you know i mean because at the end of the day like you know as a baseball coach like you want to see your kids get to the highest level that they can and so, you know, I think without tracking stuff, sometimes it's really hard for kids to know what's working for them and what's not. And yeah, you can say, okay, last year you were hitting the ball 75 mile an hour off the bat. And now you're at 92. So clearly whatever we've been doing, whatever you've been working on is working, but there may have been a stretch in there where he found something that really, really helped him and we never even caught it. He didn't know at the time, you know, you just don't know exactly what's going on. And then the same could be said with like, you know, for pitchers and throwing, there's guys that all, they don't know what they're, you know, doing differently, but all of a sudden a ball will come out really clean and they'll touch a, you know, an 86 when they were an 80, 80 to 81 guy. And, and you, you know, being able to have them see that and feel that I think is huge. And, and we've never had a way to put it up on a reader board or anything like that. And I know some people are against that and they're afraid everybody's going to throw their arm out, but you know, the number one thing on that is just education and knowing, you know, making sure kids understand that their arm is, you know, something they have to take care of. And we try to be, you know, pretty careful about that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I, I do want them to see what that, what that looks like. But, you know, you'll have kids that think they're throwing hard and they're throwing 74. And I think they need to know that too. You know, it's like all that stuff I think can, can help them grow as a player. And if they don't have any way to know exactly what they're seeing or what's happening, it's kind of just their own imagination or our imagination. And, and so that's the number one thing for me. That's what I want to get better at. I want our kids to be able to know exactly what's going on in the moment and week to week and month to month. And, and, you know, and obviously as we do this longer year to year and, and to see the growth is pretty cool. And to be able to see that what their, that hard work is paying off. I mean, that's the number one thing for me is just, is just simply that. I mean, we've added, we always try to add things from, you know, my, my Twitter buddies or whatever that, I, that are kind of helping me along as uh, every day. And I, hopefully I can give them something here and there, but, We've added plyo ball, you know, uh, we've added the plyo walls for the plyo ball drills, had a student build those for us for, for free, not even a baseball kid, just a, just a kid that said, hey, what are those? And I said, something I'm looking to build. And he's like, I'll build them for you. Um, you know, so tapped into the community there and he's got a, he's always checking with me and asking how they're working out. And, you know, it's kind of cool and it costs us a dime. Uh, so we've got plyo walls in there now and we've got a couple kids that have really bought in. Um, you know, we've always been a program that our top pitchers sit in the kind of the low eighties and we had a couple of guys touch at 87 this year. And I, and again, I don't, I, I don't have any for sure reason to say that it has anything to do with something we're doing differently. It could just be that we had a couple of guys that, you know, are, are kind of blessed or whatever. But uh, again, like you start seeing some of these things push those numbers up and you start realizing that, Hey, there's something to this. And I want to be able to track that so it doesn't just seem like we're pulling it out of the thin air. I love that take. And my next question involves, you know, talking you talking about getting players to buy in and getting them to love the game. But what's something that you guys do in practice that your players just can't get enough of? 
you know, honestly, like our, I, I've told, I mentioned this earlier, but it really is our, our kids believe in that our, they understand we built this thing around swinging a bat. Part of me, I've always loved to swing the bat. I think it's, you know, the best part of the game. I, that's what I prefer to watch. That's what I prefer to to look at. I don't, I'm not that, I'm not super interested in in pitching mechanics. I understand how important pitchers are to the game. Uh, It's just never been anything I, I was you know, it didn't really get me going, but hitting always has. And I'm probably, that's why our, our program has kind of been built that way because it's, you know, their head coach is somebody that loves hitting. And so, you know, our guys, I, you know, they, that's what, that's what kind of gets them going for the most part is, is swinging a bat. I, I mentioned this to our eighth grade coach the other day is they were having some trouble with their kids' motivation and, you know, they're having a tough season. They're playing against some really good teams and not winning a lot of games and that type of thing. And, and I mentioned to him, I said, hey, we got to get them in the cages. We got to get them confident because what I've always found is the guys that are swinging the bat confidently, they play defense a lot more confidently. They carry themselves a lot better. The game's a lot more fun. Hitting is a lot more than just, just swinging a bat. It really kind of controls your, your attitude and how you come to the park every day. And if, and if you love to train as a hitter, you know, I just think you, I just think it brings so much confidence to you, your program everybody around you when your team swings a bat and you're never out of a game and so i mean our guys i think they just love to hit you know and they they love to swing anything we'll hand them whether it's a heavy bat a light bat a pvc pipe you know so the band work they do to train for the hitting i i think they enjoy that whole piece of the training um i don't think they're ever bored in the cages at least not the you know we have a we have a variety of kids i mean they're not all diehard baseball kids that come out it's a high school team and you know, I'm not saying they all love love to train, but the the real players, the ones that are trying to trying to help us, you know, win games and trying to help themselves move on to play in college. Those kids, you know, by and large, they they anything we're doing with hitting, they're enjoying it. It sounds like you guys are are you know you're doing your research and you're trying a lot of you know different new stuff. So if you had to recommend some different resources for the people listening and to just to dig on you know, any part of the game, you know, what are, what are some of your favorite resources and some of the ones that have shaped your coaching career? I mean, when I started out coaching, I, you know, it was all there. Twitter wasn't really, I, I mean, I'm sure, I don't even know when it started. I know it was probably there, but I didn't use it. And so for me, it was all, I hit Amazon and started buying every baseball book I could buy and read Ted Williams hitting, you know, every which way read, all I, you know, the one that kind of got me sucked into some strategy stuff was just the Moneyball book, um, and and so that kind of has shaped. I mean, I know it's and it's probably antiquated at this point, but there's new stuff out there. But for me, it was really eye opening to to hear like, hey, a sacrifice bunt with guys at first and second isn't actually the right play, you know, statistically, you know, because everybody was doing it, and if you didn't sack bunt with guys at first and second with nobody out people would assume you've never watched a baseball game before. Well, now, you know, it's almost, there are teams in our league that do that, but it's almost more rare. I mean, people are starting to figure out like these kids are here to hit. And then the numbers bear that if you're going to sacrifice money, you're actually hurting your team's chances, unless you're doing it to try to find a way to get on base at the same time, which we do bunt, but it's always, you know, it's more of a, it's a bunt for a hit, you know, whatever they're doing, they're trying for a hit. So, so Moneyball was kind of a big one to just kind of wake me up to like, there's more to baseball than what I was taught growing up or what I'd been told in high school and in college. 
and there's a there's a kind of a new strategy coming through and that was back shoot 2009 probably or eight that i started kind of diving into all that and then just you know every coaching the coaching bible you know things written by all these guys i I went and watched, you know, I, I live in the same town as Coach Casey in Oregon State and go watch their practices and figure out what they're doing, talk to them. I, you know, I've become pretty good friends with some of their coaches and and just trying to trying to find resources that could help me. And and, and, and now, you know, I, it's almost exclusively baseball-wise, it's almost exclusively, you know, following guys like you and, and, you know, Casey Fisk and Ryan Parker and Steve Carter and Connor Dawson and, and, and Donnie and, and I've, I've got a little, a small group of guys that, that we bounce ideas off with Dustin Land and, and, you know, all kinds of different people that, that I feel really lucky to, uh, to even have them even talk to me, let alone talk to me every day. You know, it's like these people are very smart. They've spent a ton of time around baseball and I get to pick their brain anytime I want. And for me, I'm like, what could be a better resource than, than, than that? I mean, these guys willing to share everything they've learned to try to help me out. And, and I've never met any of these people, you know, I've, I've talked to them for hours, but I've never met them. You know, it's kind of crazy. You know, staying on the subject of getting in contact. Well, how would our listeners get into contact with you? I've got a, a Twitter um, handle um, so they can, they can definitely catch me there. You know what it is exactly. I'm not, not sure. I've changed it a couple of times. Okay. Uh, I'll link it down in the show notes so for sure. I'll, I'll have, yeah, I'll have to have you uh, put that on on the link there. But yeah, I've got a. I can send you my Gmail too, and and you know, and I can. I don't even mind putting a, a, a cell phone number on there. I'm running a, a turf installation company now, so we do turf baseball fields, and I'm not teaching anymore. I'm just coaching and doing that. And so, you know, if anybody's got turf questions, they can email me too about that. And it's been a, a huge change for me, but at the same time, I'm getting to do what I've I've always loved, which is helping helping. Now I'm getting to help baseball facilities instead of just players. But it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm getting to meet lots of different people that I never would have got to meet before. I just went to Idaho and met a an, an awesome coach over there, and Justin Schneid at uh, Valley View High School, and spent the weekend with him and helped do a turf project over there, and got to talk baseball with a, with a guy I would have never got to meet before. So. Um, again, it's, you know, my, my life has been kind of built around, um, my family and baseball and, you know, I couldn't be, couldn't be happier that that's the way it is. Absolutely. And good thing that, you know, I think that all baseball coaches agree that it's a good thing that we married, married up. And so it's, it's (laughs) definitely baseball families. And, and if we didn't have great wives to be able to, to share our lives with, then man, it'd be tough, but it's a good thing that there are a lot, no doubt about it. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, I don't, I probably don't tell my wife that enough, but you know, if it weren't for her, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have accomplished anything and I wouldn't have anything that I have. And it's, it's kind of crazy. She just, you know, it's probably like, you know, when, once you have kids and stuff, it's like, you just, women are so good at taking care of all that stuff that, that we don't even think about, you know, I mean, we're on vacation right now and I came home from the all-star series and, and packed my bag and we left and, 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 you know, she's like, you know, kind of looking at me and laughing and as we're hauling eight bags out the door and, and, you know, all the kit, everything in the house is clean and you're just going, I realize I had nothing to do with any of this stuff. And I'm, I'm a lucky guy that just gets to grab my bag and, and head out the door with them. So, it, you know, it is crazy. Um, and I don't think that coaches probably tell their wives enough how, how much they do for them. And I know I don't, but it, I mean, it really is the number one factor in being able to be a successful coach is to have a great wife. 
And Ryan, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing so much of what you guys are doing at, at CV and obviously the the success that you guys are having. It, it's no secret that, that you're building better baseball players and better young men. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Uh, you know, just I, I think the number one thing I would I would tell people is just, you know, uh, humble yourself, ask lots of questions. Uh, you, we, none of us have it figured out. None of us should try to act like we do. You know, it's, it's a game that is going to be there after all of us are, are, you know, gone. And, you know, I think we all should just be trying to put our stamp on, on the game as best we can by helping, you know, kids become better young men and better baseball players. And, and, you know, trying to set an example of what that looks like every day. And, and when you when you do something that you shouldn't have done, you know, own it. Uh, I think that's another big thing. And, and, you know, I think we all are, you know, just trying to be better every day. And, and if you're doing that, then your players are going to love you, you know, and they're going to want to play hard for you at all times. But with that being said, man, I really appreciate you including me in this podcast. It's the way you're trying to grow the game through through this uh, media is is awesome. You know, I've, I've only listened to probably half of them, but I have all intentions in the world to get through the other half and, and keep doing what you're doing because this is, I mean, this is another way for all of us to, to get better. And, and I love it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.